Hey, this is Pastor Bob Stephen, lead pastor at Pursuit Church SA, and this is our podcast. Listen, would you take a minute to share and subscribe to this podcast? Also, we would love to connect with you, so please visit us at PursuitChurchSA.com or on any of our social media pages. Now, here's this week's message. We hope it blesses your life. Today, we're going to continue in um, week two of our sermon series, Fear Not. And it's important that we talk about that. We picked the month of October because obviously it's a month where, you know, it's scary stuff, right? But um, like I told my grandkids, the only ghost that lives in this house is the Holy Ghost. And I know that's kind of, you know, cliche-ish, but it's a fact. <laughs> On Starry Mountain, it's the Holy Ghost that runs things in there, okay? But we talk, well, I want to talk about fear this month. And we've been praying about this. And fear is something that all of us face. It's a very real human emotion. And it's an emotion. Remember that. An emotion is a chemical reaction in your brain. So it's legit. There are going to be times that you're going to have to deal with fear. Right. And I love that song they sang. And I don't know why I don't pay attention to the set list most of the time. But that is very appropriate. The name of Jesus is bigger than fear. Yeah. It's bigger than fear. Amen. You know, there is, Jesus has no rival. He has no equal. And sometimes we think that what we're dealing with is bigger than him. No, No. let me correct that. No, nothing is bigger than the name because it's the name above all names. So when you feel fear coming on, speak the name of Jesus. It's like Crystal said, if you don't know what else to say, then you just say Jesus. That is more than enough. And like I said, we're, we're talking about fear because it is a very real human emotion. And the one thing about fear is that It's a very powerful emotion. It can actually paralyze us. Fear can paralyze us. And it can paralyze us because we're afraid to move forward. We're afraid to take a next step. We're afraid to get out of whatever whatever we're in. You know, there are women who will stay in abusive relationships because they at least know what to expect from that one. They don't know what the next joker's going to do. They're afraid. It's paralyzed them. And sometimes fear can even tempt us to go back somewhere that God already got us out of. It can tempt us to go back to some place that we know is not where we're supposed to be. I mean, think about the Israelites. Remember when, remember when the Israelites, Moses was leading the Israelites out of, out of um, Egypt. At one point they got so scared. They were like, man, why'd you even bring us here? Why don't you just leave us back in Egypt? Why don't you just take us back to Egypt? Why did you take us out? They want to go back to Egypt where they were slaves. You see what fear can do? It can lead you to think irrationally. That's how strong of an emotion it is. We're not thinking clearly because we're so wrapped up in fear. So why do we get so afraid? What causes that? Usually it's because we don't think we have what we need to deal with an issue at hand. Think about it. You're not afraid of what you think you can control or when you think you have what you need. It's the unknown variables that cause us to fear. And a lot of times when we're afraid, it's because we're looking at our situation through our natural eyes, what we see in front of us. So today I want to show you another way to look at things. A better way. 
And it's a way that keeps fear from paralyzing you and literally destroying your life. Because it will do that. That's why we're talking about it. Fear can destroy your life. And not only that, it will negatively impact those around you too. Turn your Bibles to Numbers chapter 13. It's an Old Testament, first part of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. Anyway, it's around there somewhere. Numbers chapter 13. And this is the story of when Moses, they were coming out of Egypt. Before they got to Canaan, he sent 12 spies out. And this is the story of that. God told Moses, send 12 spies out to this place. Because God led them out of Egypt. And he didn't lead them out of Egypt just to leave them wandering in the desert. When God leads you out of something, he's, he's leading you towards something. You know, let me, let me just, this is not in my notes, but I got to say this. This is why we can't be leaving churches when we get upset or when things don't feel good. Because unless God's leading you out, you need to stay planted. A plant only grows when it's rooted and planted. You keep uprooting it and transplanting. You're stunting all kinds of growth. God doesn't take us out of something unless he's leading us somewhere else. And that's what he did with the Israelites. He took them out of Egypt because he was leading them to this place called the promised land. And it's called the promised land because God promised it was going to be theirs. And also because it was an amazing place flowing with milk and honey. In other words, it was a place where they were going to have everything they needed to live abundant lives, which was God's original plan. And it's still his plan for us. So we're going to pick up in Numbers 13, and we're going to talk about verse 1 and 2. As the Israelites got closer to Canaan, God told Moses, okay, look, you're going to send some spies out to check out the land, right? And he said, pick 12 spies, one man from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. You see, here's the thing. God likes us to be prepared, And Moses knew that. He'd been walking with God a while. I mean, communing with God. And he knew that he needed to come up with a plan. He needed to come up with a plan. There was some prep work to be done before God was going to lead the people to the promised land. You know, and I really hope you can get this down in your spirit today. We can't just be sitting around waiting on God to do stuff. I mean, he's going to do what he's going to do. And God's well able to do anything. He flung the stars into the sky. And he tells them to stay there, right? But the thing is, we have our own part to play. We have to do what we can do. And once we've reached that apex where we can't do anything else, then God steps in and does what he can do, the supernatural. You know, sometimes people think, oh, well, you know, God promised me this. So I'm going to just sit here and I'm going to wait on the Lord. That's not exactly what it means when they say, wait on the Lord. That's actually kind of lazy. It's just a little lazy. God wants us to do what we can do so he can do the supernatural. We got to remember that. Moses understood that. So he was gathering as much intel as he could about this new land, the promised land. So he sent these spies out and he gave them very specific instructions. This is what I want to know. Like, I don't want to know all this other stuff. I just want to know these things. He wanted to know what's the land like. Are there trees there? Is the soil good? Do the trees produce good fruit? What's the fruit look like? Matter of fact, bring me some back so I can see for myself. I can taste it. And then he wanted to know, do the cities have walls? Are they fortified? What do the people look like? 
Is there a bunch of them? Those were very specific things Moses wanted to know. So he sent the spies out, and 40 days later, 40 is a very significant number in Scripture. It's a time of testing. So 40 days later, the spies came back, and all of them, all of them said, oh, it was beautiful. Truly was a land flowing with milk and honey. It was just amazing. Beautiful trees, amazing fruit, just beautiful, wonderful place. However, 10 of the 12 said they were full of giants, full of giants, big, strong giants, and there were lots of them. The cities were heavily fortified. They were terrified of what they saw. Just because somebody's a giant don't mean they can do something. I mean, but what they saw with their natural eyes scared them. And not only that, they came back and got everybody else all riled up and scared. Told, told everybody, yeah, it was nice, but, but. There were these big giants and they had walled cities. It, it, they got the whole community terrified because of their negative report. They even got so bad, oh man, they started calling themselves things. They referred to themselves as grasshoppers, like a bug, you just squish it. They referred to themselves as grasshoppers, easily defeated, easily destroyed. You know, we got to be real careful when we let fear come on us so bad that we start calling ourselves things that God never called us, never that's next level stuff, y'all. We got to be careful about that. So the other, the first 10 came back and they had a little bit of a negative report, a little bit. But what about the other two? The other two spies, Joshua and Caleb, they saw the same thing the other 10 did, but their report was a little bit different. And when they heard all the negative stuff, the other ones were saying, they actually got angry. They got incited about it. Scripture says they tore their robes. That's like it's significant with anger or, or fear or, uh, or sadness, mourning. Look at Numbers 14, and we're going to start in verse 6. It says, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of that guy, who were among those who scouted out the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite community, the land we passed through and explored is an extremely good land. He's, they're basically saying, yeah, they were, they were right about that. But here's the deal. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land, a land flowing with milk and honey and give it to us. They were saying, look, y'all, God is faithful. He said it was ours, so it's ours. We just have to believe him. That's what Joshua and Caleb were saying. Then he says, don't rebel against the Lord. Don't be afraid of the people of the land, for we will devour them. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. Joshua and Caleb saw the very same thing the other spies did. Yet they didn't focus on what things looked like with their natural eyes. They were focused on God. They knew they could take that land. First of all, they knew it because God said they could have it. Second of all, because they weren't focused on their own weaknesses and needs, what they needed. They knew 
They knew that God's strength and God's provision would make up for their weaknesses and God would supply all their needs. All their needs. That's what encouraged Joshua and Caleb. Encourage. That word encourage means filled them with courage. That's what encouraged Joshua and Caleb and gave them the strength to move forward. And y'all, it's not what we see. It's what we look at that makes all the difference. Think about that. Sometimes we're afraid because we're looking at the wrong thing. We need to learn to focus on God's strength and his provision through our weaknesses and our needs. You know, the Apostle Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 4. Turn to Philippians chapter 4, New Testament. The way I remember where it's at is this old thing that some Sunday school teacher taught me. Go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. So it's after Ephesians. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 12. This is what the Apostle Paul said. I know both how to have a little and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. He had to learn some things. Learn, not, oh, I just know it. No, 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 he had to learn it. He had to go through some things and learn. Learn the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him, as Jesus, who strengthens me. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 19, my God will supply all our needs according to his riches and glory in Jesus Christ. God's riches, not ours. And you know, he owns a cattle in a thousand hills. That's what the Bible says. We, we think we don't have enough. He's got more than enough. He's our source. He's our supplier. You know, this is in my notes, but I got to say this. We cannot think that we have anything we got on our own. Get an education. I'm all for that. I, I did that. I sacrificed. I got mine. But let me tell you something. God gives us everything. He gives us the ability to get an education. He gives us the ability to work. He even opens doors so we get jobs that we have. We have to remember, he supplies our needs. Not us. Not us. And you think, man, okay, that's a real incredible statement. That's the Apostle Paul. Of course he would say that. Of course he would. He's a mighty man of God. He knows all about that stuff. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. That's easy to think that. And you wouldn't be wrong. But here's the deal. Nobody starts off like that. We don't start off like that. We have to learn some things. Just like Apostle Paul did. Because here's the deal. Before he was the Apostle Paul, he was an angry, bitter, hard-hearted Man named Saul. Saul was a Pharisee, y'all. Y'all know the Pharisees are the ones that Jesus was always getting up in their face. He had a real issue with that. Religiosity. Follow the rules. Do it this way. Check this box off and you're good. No. (laughs) Paul was a Pharisee. He was one of them. He was one of those hardline legalists. Making sure everybody followed those 611 rules the Jews came up with that made them holy. That was Paul. Legalist. Oh, religion gets on my nerves, y'all. I, can't, I, got, I got trauma triggers from religion. It's not about that. It's about a relationship. It's not about religion. 
The Bible says all of our works are the same thing as filthy rags. It's not about what we're working to do. That's not how it is. It's grace. Grace earned through the finished work of the cross. The Pharisees, they weren't too concerned with that. Paul, Saul, wasn't too concerned about mercy and love and grace. You know, the things that really matter to God. Well, that was Paul when he was Saul. But God, God got a hold of him. God got a hold of him. He literally blinded Saul because he knew that Saul needed to have his eyes changed. He needed to see things differently. You know what? When you're blind, everything's dark, I think. That's what I've heard. And this is exactly why we can't be cursing the darkness, y'all. We can't curse the darkness. God knows what he's doing. He's got a plan for every single one of our lives. And sometimes he's going to keep you in the dark because he knows you need to stop looking for the light switch and start looking for him to light the way. Saul was literally blinded and left in the dark for a few days so God could work on him. The darkness is when sometimes God's working on us. And when he got his sight back, three things happened. First of all, he got a new name. He wasn't Saul anymore. That murderer of Christians, he became Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ. The second thing is he got a new heart. He had a heart that really loved God. And love God deeply and in a different way where he wanted to obey God, not so much the rules. And the third thing is he got new vision. He got new vision because his heart was transformed. He went through transformation and he started to see people differently. And he also saw circumstances differently. He now saw life through eyes of faith, deep deep faith in the miracle working God that saved him. That's a transformation. And I want you to understand Paul's life after that wasn't going to be all sunshine and rainbows. It wasn't actually. And if you look at it in the natural, Paul faced a lot of stuff in his life. He was arrested. He was beaten. He was tarred. He was thrown on an island, left all alone by himself. Paul had a lot of reasons to fear, and he had a lot of excuses to be bitter and mad at God, but he didn't. He didn't. He remained hopeful and brave no matter what happened, and it's because Paul used his new eyes, and he focused on God's strength and God's provision instead of looking at his own weaknesses and his own needs. Paul learned to be content no matter what was happening around him. And it's because he knew, he knew that God was his strength and that God was his source. And he knew that because instead of cursing the darkness, Paul was willing to go through it so God could refine him. You know, there's another story in 2 Kings chapter 6 that I want to share with you. Second Kings, go back to the Old Testament. We're all over the board today. Second Kings is in the Old Testament. Let's go in chapter 6. And it's the story of Elisha. Okay, I have to pronounce it Elisha because I get him and the other one mixed up. Elisha. 
he was the protege of Elijah. So this is the story of Elisha and his servant Gehazi. So God had used Elijah to perform some pretty amazing miracles. So he knew all about God's provision and God's strength and power, right? But the thing was, Elisha's servant, Gehazi, he had some stuff to to work through. And God was about to shake things up a little bit for one man. Don't think God don't see you. He will move mountains for one person. Leaves the 99 for the one. Y'all, there was a whole war for one man to get a new perspective. That's how God works. And in 2 Kings chapter 6, we read about this war. There was a war going on, and it was between the Aramaeans and the Israelites. And the thing is, the Aramaeans kept losing battles, which was really kind of odd because they were this massive, big, strong army, and the Israelites were just the Israelites, right? But they kept losing battles. And it got so bad that the king of Aramaeus started thinking, man, there must be a spy around here. And he started going a little bit crazy, accusing everybody, you spy, you spy. And he just put terror in his men. I'm going to kill whoever's the spy. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. And finally, one of his guys got the courage to speak up and say, king, there's not a spy among us. It's the God of Israel. He's telling Elijah What's going on here, what you're saying, what your plans are, and Elijah's taking it back to the king of Israel. That's why we keep losing. It's the prophet Elisha. Can you imagine how that infuriated the king of Aramea? What's he going to do against God? He had to have been real messed up about that. So he sends his troops out, and he figures, all right, he starts blaming Elisha, and he says, all right, we're going to go find him. Y'all go find him. Go find this prophet Elisha. And they found out, the troops found out that Elisha and his servant Gehazi were in a town called Dothan. So the king's army heads out to Dothan, surrounds the city at night. And in the morning, Gehazi wakes up, he goes outside of his tent, and he looks around and he sees the hills filled with the king's army surrounding the city. He starts freaking out. He's afraid. He runs back in the tent, and he tells Elijah, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? They're everywhere. There's tons of them. What are we going to do? He's literally so terrified. And I want you to notice what Elisha says. And it's in 2 Kings 16 and 17. He says, Elisha said, don't be afraid. For those who are with us outnumber those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed, Lord, Please open his eyes and let him see. That seems like a really odd thing to pray, right? You know, if it would have been any of us, maybe we'd be like, God, I need you to handle this business. Get them out of here. Save me out of this. Take me out of this. Fix it, right? That's the tendency. That was a really odd prayer. Open his eyes. But here's the thing. Elisha knew what really needed to happen was Gehazi needed to see things differently. Verse 17 tells us, so the Lord opened the servant's eyes. He looked and saw that the mountain was covered with horses and chariots of fire all around. Gehazi was blinded by fear because he was looking at what he saw in the natural with his natural eyes. And Elisha knew he needed to be able to see past that 
to see the supernatural that God was doing. Not that he was going to do, that he was doing. God is sometimes doing stuff and we don't see it because what we're looking at in our natural eyes just shows us what we see. And we think that's it. No, we have to look at the supernatural. Gehazi needed to learn to focus on God's strength and God's provision instead of his own weaknesses and needs. That's why Elijah prayed for God to open Gehazi's eyes. And he wasn't talking about his physical eyes, y'all. Again, he was talking about supernatural eyes. When fear comes along, it's because we're looking at things, what we see or what we think is going to happen. And we're not looking at what God can do. It's so easy to forget, right? So I want to challenge us all today. When you're afraid, don't panic. Don't panic. In fact, don't do anything at all until you talk to God. And when you get afraid, you probably already started that conversation. Don't you say something like, oh, God. You just need to finish the sentence. It's called prayer. Keep talking to him. Keep talking to God. Pray. Prayer is powerful. I cannot say that enough because we just seem to think it's so trite. Prayer is very powerful. It is a weapon. It is our weapon against fear. That's how we combat it. Prayer. Get on your knees. Stop scrambling around looking for something else to do. Get on your knees. Look up. Pray. And just because things don't happen as soon as you're done praying, sometimes that can make us think prayer's not powerful. It's not doing anything. Just because we don't see results instantaneous, right? Maybe you just need a little bit more patience. A little bit more patience. And trust in God. Wait for God to move. Prayer is how we fight our battles, y'all. It's how we fight fear. I once heard an old preacher say, God don't answer the prayers you don't pray. God knows what you need. Absolutely. Sometimes he just needs us to ask. I love my kids. I love my, I love my grandkids. Boy, grandkids are the best, y'all. And they pretty much know they can have anything they want within my ability to provide it. <laughs> but they'll come to me and say, Nani, I want da da da. All right, let's go online. But maybe I didn't think that they wanted that. I didn't know until they asked me, but when they asked me, sure, baby, we got to ask God for what we need. We need to pray. He's a good father. How much more is he going to give his kids? We just got to ask sometimes. Prayer is powerful, y'all. It moves the hands of God. And there's something else I want you to know about prayer. It's a sign of obedience to God. Did you know that? 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 and 18 says to pray all the time because this is God's will for you. That's not a suggestion. That's a command. It's obedience when we pray to God. Don't focus on what you see with your natural eyes, but instead look to God. Pray to him. Give him your fear. Give him everything that you can't handle and then trust him. All throughout the Bible, God tells us not to be afraid, but to trust him. When are we going to do that? When are we going to do that, y'all? At what point are we going to be willing 
to trust God and believe his word instead of focusing on what's going on around us. When are we going to do that? There's a reason that Gehazi saw chariots and horses of fire. Fire is cleansing. In scripture, fire is purifying. It burns away all the junk. Sometimes we got to get our eyes off of what we see and put them on the cleansing fire of God so he can change the way we see things. The situation, circumstance, sure, it can bring fear to your heart. That's okay. But friends, you got to lift your eyes. You got to lift your eyes. Look to God. That's when you'll be able to see the chariots and the horses of fire surrounding you. Look up. Take your eyes off of what you're afraid of and just trust God. Let today be the day that God burns, his fire burns off your fear and it lights up the path that's going to lead you closer to him. Will you bow your heads, please? Lord, I thank you. I thank you for who you are, God. You are a good God. You love us. You know our hearts. You know what we need. You know the battles that we're in, Lord, and you know how we feel about it, God. In those moments when we're afraid and we think that we're all alone, Lord, give us eyes to see that you are surrounding us. You are surrounding us like a shield. You have dispatched warrior angels to help. Lord, let us see that. Give us eyes to see, Father God. And you know what, Lord? Give us a desire in our hearts to seek you more, to seek you instead of standing on fear. God, give us bravery. Give us boldness. It only comes from you, Lord. Give us your boldness. Lord, give us wisdom, give us discernment so that we'll be able to handle situations in a way that honor you and take away fear, God. We thank you. I thank you that you are mighty and you are mighty to save. I bless your holy name, Lord, and I just pray that this word today will touch our hearts and change us, God. Give us courage and strengthen us to fight our battles praying to you and trusting you, Lord. Father, some of us struggle with believing. Help us in our unbelief. And God, we just love you so much. We honor you and we thank you for who you are in the mighty name of Jesus.